Hello and welcome back. I'm here today interviewing a Mississippi chart-topping rapper, Tofa. Tofa, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it, my friend. How's everybody doing? <laughs> it's wonderful to interview you and talk to you. You are a, a phenomenal hit, phenomenally successful rapper. But most important of all, you're from you're from Mississippi. You grew up not far from Jackson. Tell us a little bit about growing up in Mississippi and how did you get into rap? So Mississippi is always that struggle state that most people hear about uh, throughout history. We've just had just <laughs> the, we've been on a struggle bus. You look, you look at every statistic, every category, we tend to be uh, dead last. But I, I take that as an advantage because that tells me that if I can make it out of here and succeed on a national level, that tells me that there is something to be had here and that anything is possible for anybody else in any other state. I grew up in Kilmichael, Mississippi, uh, and uh, one quick cookie is that B.B. King also was uh, born and raised, I won't say born, but was raised around Kim Michael, Mississippi as well. So that's another big artist that we have coming from such a small town, uh -huh. population of maybe 800 people. I graduated with a class of 22 people. Uh, fortunately, I was number one. So I don't know what that really means because <laughs> out of 22 people, I would hate to come in dead last. But uh, I ended up being number one in my class. And uh, I started out doing music when I was 10. My dad is a blues guitarist, singer, songwriter here in Mississippi. He goes by the name Little Willie Farmer. Uh, he's played for uh, the likes of B.B. King and everybody else. Uh, does a really great job. I love it. You know, Mississippi's the home of blues. And so I, I just always uh, attribute uh, him for my uh, musical um, uh, inclination. Were you always musical growing up? Were you musical? Did you sing in a church choir did you did you play a musical instrument was music always around you absolutely uh we we had church choirs uh family choirs community choirs you name it i was a part of it uh we still to this day uh there's an embarrassing video of me when i was five years old uh and and with my cousins we were all five four three singing i believe i can fly by r kelly <laughs> and it's you know and i learned really fast that i was not really a singer but i just loved being involved in music um i tried to pick up playing the guitar my dad uh well i don't say my dad but my dad tried to help teach me uh, he wasn't involved in my life as much but i i didn't like it i didn't like the way it made my fingers feel it just requires a certain amount of uh uh, fortitude to be able to play the guitar I just didn't like it so I picked up playing the keyboard so I learned a lot of different things on the piano and uh, I started writing when I was probably nine or ten and uh, I remember writing one of my first songs with a group I forget the, I forget the name of our group but it was me and two other of, of my um, classmates in the fourth grade we formed a group but I do remember my very first performance was at a church and was doing Christian rap and let's just say I've came a long way <laughs> from when I first started. But I, I, I do appreciate that no one really shot down my dream. My mom was a big supporter, no matter how bad it was. But she appreciated my tenacity and my will, uh, will my willpower to pursue uh, my music career. So if it wasn't for those people, then I probably wouldn't be here today. But you've been phenomenally successful. You've gone on to uh, build up a massive following on TikTok and you've you've uh, you've got a huge audience out there for your music. I mean, in a way, you kind of you embody the American dream. You you grew up with very little. You were taught by your parents, work hard and you can make it and you've made it. What, what do you think that tells us about the American dream? Is America a, a great country that offers opportunity for everyone? 
Absolutely. Um, I always tell people it's a land of equal opportunity, not equal outcome. Despite what people try to do, um, they, they think that a lot of the, the the disparities that we see is due to the fact of, of higher powers keeping people back. No, it's um, it's almost like giving somebody bricks and wood and said, hey, you, you know, we all have a chance to build a house. If you don't build your house, then that's on you. And that's 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 what it's come down to. It's up to us to take the tools that we have here in America and educate ourselves and work hard and to build that that dream that we also love to build at home um, that we can house everything in. So I am a firm believer in you get out of life what you put in, you know, um, how you spend your time is going to determine your 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 um uh rise in life your attitude determines altitude all those things um and uh, if it didn't if for, for instance if it wasn't for me in my situations growing up in a single parent household uh growing up in a house full of alcoholism uh domestic abuse violence all those things that people quote so often they got that held them back in life didn't hold me back in life and it was it was because of my mental ability to understand that I am not a victim of my situation and I will overcome. How how important do you think it is that young people hear that message? Because often people are told the opposite. I hear a lot of young Mississippians told to think of themselves as, as a victim or to think of themselves as, you know, not, you know, don't, don't make an effort, they're told, um, it, you know, you're, you've got the odds stacked against you. You're saying something radically different. You're saying you can make it. And you're saying, look at me, I've made it. Um, how important do you think it is we we get that message out there? I think it's very important. I remember growing up uh, in, in, in McGurman County High School, and when people came to our school to, to speak to us, uh, it was the same message that you said most uh, youth hear today. Um, the odds are stacked against you. You know, if you're Black, then this and that. But I never really had anybody come to my school and say, hey, you know, America has all these opportunities. Let's look at the positive. Let's look at the glass half full versus looking at the glass half half empty. Um, and the reason I developed this was because of my relationship with Christ, I believe, because we can't also believe in God and believe that, you know, um, and all things are possible in Jesus Christ. Um, so we can't believe these things, but also believe that there's nothing that can be done on our end when it comes to oppression and, and, and scaling things up, you know? So that's why I personally say, and I've got the fruit to show <laughs> that nothing really is holding you back. Um, and, and then the, really it's not, there's nothing's holding you back. It's just that everybody goes through the same thing. That's when I realized when I went to the military and while I was in there, when we would go through basic training, they didn't care what religion you was, your height, your weight, your, none of that mattered. You know, your strength, only thing that mattered was getting the job done. And so what, go ahead. You served your country in the military for what? Six years. I think it was correct. Six years. Okay. And and you're saying that that gave you a, an outlook on the world that made you realize actually all Americans really are equal. Absolutely, because a lot of times we get stuck in um, our own echo chambers, um, and and in society and on social media, so you don't really get to have those conversations and find out the similarities um, that we share with people because we're so busy pointing out the differences. And so when I was in the military, I realized that we all just you know, come from different backgrounds. But when we get there, we're treated the same. And when given opportunity to be treated the same, those people that had the uh, the luxuries of life tend to fall back because they never had anything else to rely on. Mm -hmm. See, I've always been uh, forced to be creative, to be resourceful, 
So when I was in the military, it was nothing for me to be like, oh yeah, it's just hard work. We got to do what we got to do. We got to, we just got to get it done. Um, and I just wish more people had that mentality because when, you know, uh, America is built on that, you know, uh, a lot of other countries don't have the, the luxury that we have to come up from being poor, um, completely having anything from leaving from the, the bottom class to the high class. No other country allows us to afford us the opportunity to do that, especially at the ease of which we are able to do it in America. And I'm not re I'm not reinventing the wheel. I see so many other black successful people on a daily basis that have done this. We can name it. You know, if you want to go from uh, Steve Harvey went from sleeping in his car to being, you know, biggest person on TV, despite the fact that he had a stuttering issue as a kid. Uh, if you want to go with um, uh, Tyler Perry went from being homeless. Now he's, you know, billionaire pretty much uh, got the biggest uh, uh, recording studios down there and film studios in, in, in the United States. So it's like, we can't continue to hear these stories and see, uh, see people rise up from nothing, literally the ashes and pretend that, we're just oppressed, pretend that we just got no hope. Uh, I see hope every day when I go out. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, you can tell from my accent, I'm, I'm new to Mississippi. I arrived here less than two years ago, and I look at it as an outsider. And when I look around me, the first thing that really strikes me is how much opportunity there is in America. I mean, this really is the greatest country on earth. If, if Mississippi is the poorest state in America, then America must be an extraordinary country, because here in Mississippi, there are opportunities everywhere. And the other thing that really struck me as an outsider coming to Mississippi, there is a really prosperous and very successful African-American middle class here in Mississippi. And it's it's doing phenomenally well. Most kind of skates over this. It's extraordinary. Uh, it's skated over because people are in a business of profiting off of other people's misery. You know, especially when it comes to politics and everything in America. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Sorry. Okay. So, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, so there are people that are profiting off the, the 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 um lack of success that we see. That's why we're portrayed a certain way in the media. Um, that's why they don't cover people that are, that are being successful. Matter of fact, even within the black community, if you are a well spoken, well dressed a black person, you are shunned from everybody else because they assume that you assimilate to the white man's culture, you know? So this is a stigma that is, that has been poisoning our community for the longest. And I hate that because success, uh, it doesn't, it success doesn't recognize race. Success doesn't recognize, um, the only thing it recognizes hard work and, and decision-making, you know, mm -hmm. I always tell people, uh, it, the, the more good decisions you can make, the more successful you're going to be in life. The more bad decisions you make, the the, the worse off you're going to be in life. And your life is just a, a summary of those things. So if you want to uh, have bad opportunities, you, you just have to, for instance, uh, the Brookings Institute released a study saying that if you do these three things, you have opportunity, you have 75% opportunity to rise out of poverty into the middle class. Just these three things, which is graduate high school, um, uh, always keep a job, so don't quit. No matter what the job is, keep the job, stay employed, and wait till you're 21 to have kids or wait till you're married to have kids. These aren't ex uh, extreme measures that people have to take in life. These are the basics, and we're just being piss poor at the basics. 
and we need to fix the basics. And that's what I did. I waited till I was married, waited till I was 24, till I had a kid. I graduated high school and um, I went to school. I always kept a job, but, you know, eventually went to the military and I've always been employed mm -hmm. and I'm living a, re a really good life. So it's not that difficult. It's just that we just have to want it. You know, I think that's the, the struggle for the U.S. is the willingness to the the the, the hungerness for it. It's it's really interesting you say that because it's really unfashionable for people to say that actually you know having kids after you're married, uh, completing high school, and having a job. It doesn't matter what job, just having a job. If you do those three things, you 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 almost certainly won't be poor. And yet the kind of people who who need to hear that aren't hearing it. And and often the people who say that you know it's condescending to tell people that often are actually quite quite wealthy and, and privileged. So it's almost as if we're we're letting people down, we're letting young people down by not giving them those three basic secrets to a successful life. We are. And once like I said before, there are people that, for instance, uh, we got the midterm elections coming up, and one of the things we're talking about is whether it's uh, marijuana or uh, uh, student loan debt. A lot of these things are decisions people made and they just made the wrong one. Whether student loan debt, they didn't have to take the loan out, but they decided to, and they decided to get a degree in something that is not employing people and they just decided not to pay back their loans. But these are all self-inflicted wounds, you know? So if people become more responsible, that means the government is less needed. Mm -hmm. The government is less needed. That means less money, less jobs, and less opportunities for people to to to, to rise to power and to be that uh, savior for for those people that need to be saved. And what I'm trying to tell people is, every city needs a hero, and you can be your own hero. You don't need the government. You don't need a politician. You don't need anybody else um, handing you anything. You know, you can go ahead. Are you gonna are you gonna run for office? You sound like my kind of politician. Are you gonna are you gonna stand for election? No, no. Uh, so many people have asked me that for the last three years, saying, "Hey, Tofi, you should run for office." Uh, if I did run and be in Mississippi, but I just think it's not it's not my time yet. You know, I feel like we all got time, uh, our time to to step into a position. My right now is to fight the culture war, war, and I've been fighting the culture war successfully with my music. I'm starting to infiltrate the schools and, and the youth. Uh, just recently, I had a young guy for dress up day or dress for the future to where they, I guess he wanted to be a rapper. And out of all the people he wanted to be, he wanted to be Topher as a rapper, <laughs> which I think is phenomenal because so many people, because we don't get the same love. I don't get the same love from hip hop magazines and, and, and other uh, illustrations because of my political um, uh, I would say beliefs or my conservative values or the type of music I make. Uh -huh. But to kids, none of that stuff matters. You know, it's only adults that find issue with a lot of stuff I talk about versus the kids. And it's it's hard to tell kids this is a bad douche and listen to them when I'm over here telling them to not cuss. I'm telling them that you can be wherever you want to be in life to stay positive. And, and um stay away from drugs and you know you know about their rights it's just hard to convince kids that this guy is the problem but these other guys with yeah. the, the women in the video money flashing and drugs and, and and guns and everything else are the good people and that's fine for you to listen to them so oh, the kids go ahead 
no, I was just gonna say the kids, the kids know and they they understand that. And I'm starting to see a shift, and that's why I'm at uh I forgot who said it, but you know, uh they say uh, politics is downstream for culture. So if we truly want to change politics and change what we see um happening in the laws that are being put in place, then we have to change culture. So if you change the way that people see themselves and see society and, and see America, that's the key to lasting change in the political system. Absolutely. If you see yourself as a victim, then you become your own oppressor. Yeah. Now you you've you've sold you've been incredibly successful as a as an artist, but um you've you've also been no platform. I think I'm right in saying despite your success, I think I'm right in saying Spotify and one or two others actually kind of no platform to you tell, tell us a bit about that why was that so my biggest song the patriot which ended up going number one on billboard hip-hop digital rap song sales once uh it was allowed back on platforms but it was the platform so i released it december 19 2020 and the reason i i was just making songs uh to support the movement you know it was a big election year and i just wanted to capture so I, I believe arts are the people that capture the moment. Like that's what we do in history. Artists, that's that's our job is to capture the emotions of, of the times. And I wanted to capture the emotions of the times. And I made a song called The Patriot. And it was, I think, doing 20, 30,000 streams a day on Spotify. So it was a really popular song. I didn't even have a music video out. And the song was doing that well, right? Mm -hmm. um, so pretty much unheard of for the most part. And then January 6th happened. Next thing I know, uh, I went to pull up. Well, one of my friends went to pull up the song. I was riding with them because we we actually went to the uh, went to D.C. I did not store in the Capitol. I was not there, but I was in D.C. at the time. I actually got a chance to perform the song in D.C. Once again, Spotify knows nothing about this, so it's not like because uh, I'm not a big artist. No one knows. And next thing I know, as we're riding away, leaving the whole place, uh, he knows the song was was um, grayed out. And I was like, okay, so he couldn't play the song. So I was like, wait, you can't play the song? And I, we went to every other platform. It was fine, just Spotify. And then I didn't get an email or anything. So I made a video about it, you know, mad because this is the time my song should be played, right? Doing doing moments like these. And I just I just didn't get that love. And then I, I kept emailing it. And a week later, I finally got an email. Um, Spotify apparently knew nothing. But I finally got an email saying that uh, my distributor received the email from the stores saying that my they had to remove my song. So not only did they remove my song from Spotify, but they had to remove it from every platform um, at the time. And there, there really was nothing I can do. So by the time I got the email, by the end of the day, everything was gone. And then um, I ended up going direct to the people. We ended up selling the single just on a CD to everybody. We sold a thousand copies, which is crazy because... We were selling for, I believe, $20 just for a single song um, and CD, and people were buying it up because they, now, I guess it's just the fact that when you tell people they can't have something, they're yeah. going to they're gonna do their best to still get it. And so, go ahead. You released a song called The Patriot because you happened to be in D.C. at the time of the January the 6th um, riots. They take away your song and ban people from playing it. I don't Was there anything know. in your song that was... Did you did you say anything any cuss words in your song or anything in your song that would make them want to take it take it down? Nothing that I could think of. I know a lot of people find they may criticize my words, but even then, 
you're reaching. I, I there's one line where I say march around the Capitol, storm the city gates. And people that try to say, well, there you are, storm. You said storm the Capitol. I said, no, 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 no. My words are march around the Capitol because that's our First Amendment right to do so. Mm-hmm. I said storm the city gates. If you know anything, it's a it's a the, so so the song that I'm sampling is a sea shanty from way back when you actually had city gates where people right. would lower uh-huh. bridges and, and allow people to come in. Mm-hmm. So the city gates were not the capital buildings. It was just storming the city gates means go into the cities mm-hmm. um, and, and be proud of what you're talking about and stand for freedom, fight for freedom. And that was what I said and what I meant. I guess, they, inter- I guess they interpreted differently. By, and, by, by, by their logic, they would ban the bit in the Bible where Gideon and uh, the ba- fights the Battle of Jericho because that, that was all about... Um, mm-hmm city gates and yeah 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 it, it, and, and look that's where i got it from my the right. patriot is based if it is is biblical messaging throughout the song even the first line is tens of thousands on my right thousands by my side you know and that comes from the scripture you're saying thousands might fall by my right tens of thousands by my right hand but neither but none of them would come to, near my dwelling mm-hmm. you know so a lot of the scriptures were embedded in that and that's what i was talking about like the walls of corruption because the, the next line goes Marching around the Capitol, storming the city gates. Um, how how I go? Uh, I did. I think I said something about um, take out all the city snakes. You know, bring down the walls of corruption. Take out all the snakes. So it's like that is a full thought, complete thought of that. It they took something I think that extrapolated it and 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 tried to portray it as me inciting violence or riot or whatever at the Capitol, which I once again. Uh, don't agree with them doing that because that that's not what I said. That's not what I meant. And and we got it back on about a week and a half later. I went to a different distributor. Um, ever since I have no have had no issues with the song, mm-hmm. but I will say there are certain venues and concerts I've been trying to play the song at that have told me I couldn't perform the Patriots specifically, mm-hmm. um, because it was uh too um. What you gonna say? Problematic. We'll say that. So, out of all the songs in the world, you can call, you know, girls bees and 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 everything else, and talk about drugs and, you know, you know, f your mama, f your dad, all that stuff. But the patriot with no cussing, um, bringing people together and fighting for freedom. That song is the one that's that's been curtailed. How how crazy of them! I mean, music is full of metaphor for them to take it literally. It's 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 ridiculous. Now. Um, Tell me a little bit about your your thoughts on Black Lives Matter, because, you know, as a as a recent arrival in Mississippi, what I find really quite striking in Mississippi is that actually, you know, there there are pretty good relations, I think, between local police, certainly local police here in Jackson and um, African-Americans and white Americans. It just it doesn't seem to be an issue here in Mississippi. What are are your thoughts on Black Lives Matter, both here in Mississippi and, and nationally? Mississippi, I've told people all the time, we get a bad rep. I mean, when people actually come here and spend some time here and and look with open eyes, not with a a lens of racism, you will very well see that no one cares. It's just we're all, you know, just family oriented people. Um, We just want to make sure everyone's safe and just having a good time. I mean, we are we exemplify what we would call the Southern hospitality, you know, Um, so I don't understand the, the negativity that we receive. But at the same time, I embrace it because I don't want those liberal people moving to Mississippi <laughs> based on how good we are and changing 
our the makeup of our our state so i'm cool with like sure y'all can believe what you want but we're having a good old time here as far as black lives matter i've been a, a avid opponent about it for the last three years um trying to wake people up to the scam that we've grown to know it um that it has become and blm has raised millions um almost hundreds of millions and uh, funds and donations for uh, police, supposed police brutality and fighting against it. But n almost none of that money has went toward those efforts. A lot of that money has went toward mansions, has went toward uh, security or these proposed, uh, I would call them shell organizations that were propped up right before doing and, and none of them are IRS compliant. Uh, so, they have made a mockery of the the I would say black emotion uh, in America and and have fooled so many people to believe that we are being gunned down, which we are not because we will hear much more cases. And even when you look at the statistics and you talk to people, it's just not happening at the rate that people are saying. But Tofu, here's something that really makes me really angry. I'm I'm talking to you from Jackson, Mississippi. This city is a wonderful city, but you can't help noticing it has the highest homicide rate per capita in America. Yeah. I think I'm right in saying that so far this year, we're not even in November yet. So far this year, 105 people have been killed in Jackson, Mississippi this year. And I think I'm right in saying that every single one of them was an African-American. I think some of them were some of them were women, a couple of them were pregnant ladies, some of them were kids. And it's it's extraordinary that you've got this incredibly high murder rate in Jackson, Mississippi, and yet you've got an organization nationally that's saying Black Lives Matter. What are they doing to campaign to tackle this horrifically high murder rate that is killing African-Americans here in Jackson, Mississippi? Nothing. You never hear a word from them. We, we don't have a problem with the police here in Jackson. We have a problem with too few police in Jackson. Right. Here in Jackson, the problem is not police brutality. The problem is that the police don't have enough resources to be tough on the bad guys. And so when people talk about Black Lives Matter, I think, where are they in Jackson, Mississippi? What are they doing to support the police in Jackson, Mississippi? If, if you really believe that Black Lives Matter in Jackson, Mississippi, you would be out here trying to make sure we had more police. You would be on the side of the police. You wouldn't be dissing and undermining the police. You would want the police to do an even better job. I, it, it makes me so angry when I hear outsiders talking about Black Lives Matter, but they don't actually address a real problem that is affecting an African-American community right here, right now. Well, you'll have many Black so-called professors that will come out and say that actually Black neighborhoods are being over-policed. And I, I just look at them sideways because if somebody's over police, you're insinuating that they're arresting people that have not committed a crime. That's the way they're insinuating. But I always tell them, I said, well, you can't uh, insinuate anything if you actually look, compare the victim rate in different cities. So if it's over police, then the victim rates wouldn't add up. But those are real victims that we see when we look at the studies and we look at the statistics. So they're not being over-policed. If anything, they're being under-policed. And like you said, I agree because Chicago and other areas, even in Meridian, Mississippi, because if we're talking about Mississippi, 
Meridian, Mississippi is pretty bad. We, we, we hear it all the time, but no one wants to come out and really say it. Everyone's skating around the real issue here. You know, everyone doesn't want to step on our, our emotions and our feelings, but we're in a certain situation uh, as a black community because of our own choices, because we're afraid of those people. It's like we have to understand that a police only can do so much. Right. If you think that police are not trained is good. Sure. Let's 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 get more training. But that requires more money. And if you're not out being a, a productive person, the city can only tax you so much to get more law enforcement involved. The state can only tax people so much. And I think that's what happened with Jackson, Mississippi, in the water crisis is because now <laughs> they want to uh, invest more money into changing the infrastructure. But the problem is there's a certain amount of income that's only coming through now. And this is this, and it's creating the ripple effect, or the, well, not ripple effect, but the domino effect that we're seeing today. And I hate this for so many people. Um, I, I I wake up every day. I live in a neighborhood. I would say probably mixed, you know, white neighbor, Korean neighbor, black neighbor, white neighbor, black. You know, just just all the way down the block, and no one's violent. And the reason no one's violent is because we have a certain level of respect, and we have a certain level of character. In these places where the people are super violent, they lack that. They left the, they lack the self-respect. They lack, lack the respect for others and their property. And I feel bad for those people in those communities. I, I, I heard a tragic story. I don't know if it's true. I heard a tragic story the other day about a, a 15, 16-year-old boy was arrested for shooting someone. And, and uh, he's a suspect in a murder case. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my first thought was not what are the police doing or not? What is the mayor of Jackson doing? My first thought is, where's the boy's father? I mean, that that really seems to me to be the first question we should be asking. Um, you know, if you've got a, a, a teenager who's basically a kid, um, who's not even a full adult yet, um, in that situation, you've got to ask yourself, where, where, where are mom and dad? And, and that seems to be, I think, a fundamental failing in, in, in some parts of our state. It's a fundamental uh, fundamental failure throughout the United States. Um, the single parent household or a rate of single parent household within the black community risen from 25% to 75% um, in the, since the 70s. That is asinine. Um, and we can't allow this to continue because we've seen it. Statistics show that kids are more likely to drop out of school, more likely to commit crimes, more likely to be incarcerated, more likely to live in poverty. All these statistics show um, that these things stem from the lack of a two-parent household. I don't know, uh, well, I do know, I I believe that women have been incentivized to marry the government. The government, you know, back in the early 70s when they had the welfare programs, initially their job was to make sure there was no father in the house and to make sure they also send welfare uh, check up people to go check to make sure there was no man living in the house. I don't understand what a man living in the house has to do with welfare. Um, that's a, that's always bothered me. It's like imagine trying to get welfare with a married couple. It's almost impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you have to literally be um, uh, intentional about being poor for you before you can get help. Mm-hmm. Say, why can't we help people before they get there? Like, why we have to wait till you rock bottom? Um, why can't we just help get people back to where they don't need help? So it's almost like some of the big social changes over the past generation or two which we were told at the time were were going to help us as individuals and lead to a more free society it's almost as if what those changes did was actually free some people from taking personal responsibility i mean you know relationships are hard marriage is hard having kids is hard 
um, it's almost like we've created a, a world in which you don't have to face those responsibilities if you don't want to. And the consequences are, well, they're pretty horrific. Yeah, if you incentivize the the bad behavior, then they're gonna you're gonna get the bad behavior, yeah. and that's what we did. We incentivized the bad behavior, saying, "Hey, if you break up with your your you know husband or wife, um, and then you live by yourself, living in this area, then you get this certain amount of money." We didn't do the opposite and say, "Hey, if you make things work and do better, then we'll give you some money." So, <laughs> if we did that, we'll see the opposite effect. But we we didn't do that. We just said we're gonna we're gonna reward the bad behavior, and we see it so often. We see it in culture. We see it in social media. You know, most things that get most views are not the good stuff. It's it's the bad stuff, the negative things that get the most views, get the most shares, and it's talked about the most. The most, and and kids are watching that. And when kids are watching that, they was like, well, if I don't value myself because I wasn't taught to value myself, um, then I'm going to do what I think is giving me value. And, and that's based on what uh, is in high demand. And unfortunately, you know, the algorithms, uh, they just they tend to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that really made me mad was TikTok. TikTok is a great platform innate but the problem with tiktok is the algorithm that it has versus the uh tiktok equivalent um in china right so the, their algorithm in china rewards uh people for for productive things right if you do anything negative over there you don't get the millions of views you get the shadow ban censorship and everything else but th those people who are um tech savvy tech savvy or doing everything else is positive in the math stem field then those get elevated. But in America, where TikTok, where so many people have uh, TikTok, it's the bad behavior that is rewarded and all of the positive things that doesn't get the kick in the algorithm. And people, the thing is, we can educate people on this, but they don't care because they truly believe that you can do both at the same time and it should be fine. I said, no, it's, you're fooling yourself. If you think you could just gonna juggle both at the same time and be successful, it's no. Um, so once again, success is not accidental; it's intentional, and it has a certain um uh, a certain list of things that you must do. And if you're busy doing other things at the same time, you're not. So, on on a, on a final note to kind of wrap things up, and thank you, you'd be very very generous with your time. You sound when you talk as though you're a conservative. Have you always thought of yourself as a conservative or is it something, have you been on a journey? Is it something you found yourself um, agreeing with? I found myself agreeing with it more. I, I didn't know what a conservative was until 2019. Mm -hmm. um, I just knew what I stood on in my principles and I was doing a live on my TikTok because I, I want to credit TikTok for my rise to fame or popularity. Um, mm -hmm. That's why I grew my biggest audience. It was just me being a voice on TikTok, a countercultural voice on TikTok. And I kept having some of my um, viewers say, hey, bro, you're conservative. I'm like, what the heck is conservative? <laughs> and I was like, I didn't know. And he was like, look it up. So I decided to look it up and I was like, daggum, I do agree with a lot of these principles and, and these tenets of conservatism. I said, I guess I am a conservative, but for the most part, I would be more of a libertarian conservative because I do have some libertarian views uh, as well. Uh, but I just embrace it. You know, I, it's cool that we have labels. I'm not a fan of labels uh, because then if you become a label, people are going to always expect you to act a certain way. I don't like that or say certain things. I don't like that because I may disagree with somebody that may be another conservative and that should be fine. It shouldn't yeah. be, oh, infighting. <laughs> that's, that's what you, you get when people put labels on you. It's like, 
But if it allows people to kind of get a sense of who I am without me giving this whole laundry list of things, I'm fine with that too. Herbert, it's been wonderful talking to you. And I think your mixture of conservatism sprinkled with a bit of libertarianism is exactly what we need to hear more of, not just here in Mississippi, but across America. I mean, I, I think that the reason why the United States is the most successful country in human history, the reason why the United States works for people, whether their ancestors came from um, Eastern Europe or West Africa, or whether they came from South Asia or Ireland, the reason why America works, I think fundamentally, is because of freedom, because of liberty. Because you can come here and you can be what you want to be and do what you want to do. And I think that is the secret of its success. And to hear you talking about your own personal journey, um, starting with very little humble origins and being the success you are, it's inspiring. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me.